Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. This is the Breaking Barrier series. We are Alex and Alicia, hey your girl. hosts. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you for interrupting me. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we're Alex and Alicia. Hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and resident fangirls of all women who break barriers for others. During the Breaking Barriers series, we'll cover individuals from all industries and walks of life who have blazed trails for others. Each month, we will focus on a different theme topic, and the theme for this month for Breaking Barriers is Queens of Black History. Mm-hmm. Today, we are talking about Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison. Also, before we start, notice how I didn't interrupt you. Thank you. <laughs> it's much appreciated. Alicia, tell me... Uh, why are we talking, I mean, like, I know why we're talking about Toni Morrison, but tell everyone else, why are we talking about Toni Morrison? What barrier did she break? So, we're recording this just a few short days after her passing, which mm-hmm. is is an interesting thing, because we had already planned this months in advance to record this today. Um, but it sort of puts a different light on the research and the conversation. Um, we're talking about Toni Morrison this month because of her enormous contributions to writing. She won the Pulitzer Prize, the American Book Award, the Nobel Prize in Literature, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 1996, the National Endowment for Humanities selected her for the Jefferson Lecture, which is the U.S. government's highest honor for achievement in the humanities. She was a trailblazer and a barrier breaker. That is why we're talking about her. Yes. Let's, let's, Let's start celebrating Tony. Um, by talking about her early life. Okay. So, Toni Morrison, she was actually born Chloe Ardelia Wolford um, in Lorraine, Ohio on February 18th, 1931 to Rama and George Wolford. Both of her, of her parents actually moved from the Deep South to Ohio in search of a better, more racially integrated life. So, you're probably wondering, why are we calling her Toni, if that's Her name is Chloe. Well, stay tuned because we have the answer. But um, (laughs) (laughs) when she was about two, her family's landlord set fire to the house that they lived in um, while they were home because her parents were late on the rent. And instead of responding with hatred, her family laughed at him as the house burned because they, they felt like responding to it this bizarre form of evil is what she called it by laughing at him instead of falling into despair really demonstrated how to keep your integrity and claim your own life in the face of acts of such monumental crudeness i just how do you what (laughs) that's awful some sort of strength of character why would you burn down the house it's your house that makes no sense. I mean, yes, but I'm more focused on their response to it. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing to do. Um, oh, yeah. I hope that that man was punished. Probably um, not. Probably not, you're right. But I'm more focused on their response to that. I mean, It's impressive. It's absolutely impressive. I would not have reacted that way, just as, a, uh, as an FYI. I would not have. <laughs> I know where you keep tire iron in your car. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I, I, that's such a foreign response to me. I would not have even considered doing that, but I think it's really great because it's, I mean, the house is burning down 
and you're just standing there laughing at him because he's stupid for burning down his own house. I mean, that's that's great. That's a chess move right there. Yes, but it's also, you know, like a I don't know. I, I'm more focused on like the actual their actual response. Like I I don't think that many people have that sort of strength of character or that level of integrity or just kindness to to be able to laugh in the face of something that was wrong. Such so evil yeah it was Mm -hmm. so wrong you know and and they um they came together as a family after that i think that that's really beautiful so i mean after this event toni morrison she really actually never really wanted biographies written about her Mm -hmm. because she, she didn't think anybody cared about her story and she wanted to hear fictional stories not nonfiction. that was not her interest but One of the things that her parents instilled in her um, that she spoke about at length was a sense of heritage and language through telling traditional African-American folktales and ghost stories and singing songs. She also read frequently as a child, and one of her favorite authors was Jane Austen and Leo Tolstoy, yes. which were great Same choices. Same. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she became a Catholic um, at the age of 12, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and she took the baptismal name Anthony after St. Anthony, which is also a very interesting choice. Um, it's not a traditional baptismal name it's for not. A, a woman, um, a girl. And that uh, that was what led to her nickname, Tony. Hence, Tony. Tony. Mm-hmm. Chloe became Tony. So in 1949, she enro- whoa, enrolled Excuse me, at the historically black Howard University, seeking the company of fellow black intellectuals. The school's in Washington, D.C., where she encountered racially segregated restaurants and buses for the first time. In Ohio, it wasn't racially segregated. Segregated, It was all integrated. So It's weird to think that D.C. is in the South. It is. Isn't it? Yeah, it's weird to think of that. I mean, we're in Pittsburgh, and yeah. we're still north. I, I read this article the other day. This is a complete tangent. As a side but, note. <laughs> uh, that said that a lot of people consider Pittsburgh the Midwest. Isn't that interesting? I do not. I think we're northerners. I've been to the Midwest, and Pittsburgh is not the Midwest. Agreed. Anyway, back to Tony in yeah. Washington, D.C., and, and Howard University, please. Okay, okay. So, uh, she graduated in 1953 with a B.A. in English and went to earn her Master's of Arts from Cornell in 1955. Her Master's thesis was Virginia Woolf's and William Faulkner's Treatment of the Alienated. I would very much like to read that. I'm sure it's somewhere. Um, she taught English first at Texas Southern for two years, then at Howard for seven. While teaching at Howard, she met Harold Morrison, a Jamaican architect, whom she married in 1958. Um, they had two children, and they divorced in 1964 while she was pregnant with her second child. After, after the breakup of her marriage, she began working as an editor, um, and this is kind of what changed the progress. her career. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, so she began working as an editor in 1965, for L.W. Singer, which is a textbook division, or maybe was a textbook division of publisher um, Random House in Syracuse, New York. Two years after that, she transferred to Random House headquarters in New York City, where she became their first black woman senior editor in the fiction department. Yeah, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that capacity, she played a vital role in bringing black literature into the mainstream. And that's one of her leg. That's one of the things that's a part of her legacy. Yes, is that she 
shone shone a light shined a light shined shined excuse me she shined a light on um people that may not have gotten the opportunity to get published i'm going to talk about that later yeah so um one of the first books she worked on was the groundbreaking contemporary african literature which was a collection that included work by nigerian writers wole soyinka and chinua achibe and south african playwright athel fugard she fostered a new generation of African-American authors, including Tony K. Bambera, Angela Davis, and Gail Jones, who's writing Morrison Discovered, by the way, and publicized the work of Henry Dumas, a little-known novelist and poet who was shot to death by a transit officer in New York City subway in 1968. So she found these people that really weren't on the map Mm -hmm. in terms of getting published and got them published, and I think that that's wonderful. Incredible. Yes. Um, among other among the other books that Morrison developed and edited, this one this one's really special and really important, um, and that's the Black Book. Um, it was published in 1974. The Black Book is an anthology of photographs, illustrations, essays, and and other documents of Black life in the United States from the time of slavery up to the 1970s. Um, Random House had been uncertain about the project, but it it got good reviews. Um, Alvin Beam reviewed it for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and he wrote, um, quote, Editors, like, no- like novelists, have brain children, books they think up and bring to life without putting their own names on the title page. Mrs. Morrison has one of these in the stores now, and magazines and newsletters in the publishing trade are ecstatic, saying it will go like hotcakes. And it's interesting that it didn't sell well initially, Mm-mm. which is something we'll talk about later, but... Um, isn't that how a lot of things, the important stuff doesn't really sell well? Yeah. Right? The stuff mm-hmm. that, that really makes a difference, nobody really wants to read about that. Um, so, I, I mean, that's an unfair assessment. People want to read about it, but it doesn't appeal to the masses. Right. So, I think that it's an interesting, um, that's one of her biggest legacy pieces is mm-hmm. the Black Book. And I, um, I think it's really interesting that she encountered resistance at the publisher but also from people selling it but it had great reviews yeah so in any way in any event moving on she'd begun writing fiction as a part of an informal group of poets and writers at howard university who met to discuss their work so she attended one meeting with a short story about a black girl who longed to have blue eyes morrison later developed the story as her first novel called the bluest eye getting up every morning at 4 a.m. to write while raising two children alone. Um, The Bluest Eye was published in 1970 when she was 39. There's still hope for me. (laughs) It did not sell well at first, but the City University of New York put the novel on its reading list for its new Black Studies department, as did other colleges, which boosted the sales. The book also brought her the attention of the acclaimed editor Robert Gottlieb at Knopf, which is a part of Random House, he would go on to edit most of her novels. In, in 1975, Morrison's second novel, Sula, um, about a friendship between two black women, was nominated for the National Book Award. Um, her third novel, The Song of Solomon, which was published in 1977, brought her national acclaim. The book was a main selection of the Book of the Month Club, 
the first novel by a black writer to be chosen since Richard Wright's native son in 1940. The Song of Solomon won the National Book Critics Circle Award as well. So that's the book that I know Toni Morrison yes. for. What? You never read Beloved? No. No, I read Song of Solomon, though, when I was, uh, I have a religious studies degree. That makes sense. And I read Song of Solomon. So. Lee Park did, um, hi, everybody. Uh, we have a secret hey, in here. Hi. Um, <laughs> secret, so secret Lee Park did The Bluest Eye, and it was one of the shows that I happened to work my crew assignment on, and it was it was a beautiful, beautiful production, and we really got to tell that that story was really gorgeous to watch. So we have an, a, a, just a touch here in Pittsburgh with Toni Morrison mm -hmm. of uh, college here doing it. So cool. cool that time. is really cool. Yeah, it was a really gorgeous production. Some of my friends were in it. Really gorgeous, stunning. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how we've all been touched by Toni Morrison in different ways. Yeah, in different of her works. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in any event, um, at the 1979 commencement ceremonies, Barnard College awarded Morrison the Barnard Medal of Distinction, which was its highest honor, still is, for writing novels that create a new vision of American life. She gave her next novel, Tar Baby, a contemporary setting, and I love that title. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read that book. <laughs> um, of course you are. So this book, it's a uh, looks-obsessed fashion model. Jadine falls in love with Sun, a penniless drifter who's comfortable with being black. So I'm sure that's an interesting dichotomy there. Uh, 1983, let's fast forward a couple years, um, Morrison left publishing to devote more time to her writing. And uh, she, she lived in a converted boathouse on the Hudson River, taught English at two branches of the State University of New York and at Rutgers University, New Brunswick campus. Um, 1984, she was appointed to Albert Schweitzer to an Albert Schweitzer chair at the University of Albany, the State University of New York. So, her first play, Dreaming Emmett, is about the murder by white men of a black teenager, Emmett Till, in 1955. It was performed in 1986 at the State University of New York at Albany, where she was teaching, and it got very good reviews. And now I'm going to take over and talk about Beloved. Because yeah, I can't read. You can't do this part. This is, this is going to be hard for you. Um, and also, this was, this was the, the novel that impacted me. Um, so in 1987, uh, Toni, she published her most celebrated novel, Beloved. Um, Beloved was inspired by the true story of an enslaved African-American woman, Margaret Garner, um, which is a piece of history that Morrison had discovered when she compiled the Black Book um, back in 1974, I believe it was, that was published. Um, Margaret Garner, she had, she had escaped slavery, but she was pursued by slave hunters. And instead of, um, you know, she was, she was facing a return to slavery. Um, she, instead of returning her and her, and her daughter, um, to slavery, she killed her two-year-old daughter, um, but she unfortunately was captured before she could kill herself. And uh, Morrison's novel imagines the, the dead baby returning as a ghost named Beloved to haunt her family and her mother. Beloved was a critical success. Um, it was a bestseller for 25 weeks. The New York Times book reviewer wrote that the scene of the mother um, killing her baby is quote so brutal and disturbing that it that it appears to warp time before and after 
into a single unwavering line of fate, end quote. Um, the Canadian writer, one of my favorites, Margaret Atwood, um, I should say another of my favorites, wrote in a review for the New York Times, quote, Miss Morrison's versatility and technical and emotional range appear to know no bounds. If there were any doubts about her stature as a preeminent American novelist of her own or any other generation, Beloved will put them to rest, end quote. Okay, so I couldn't talk about the plot. Um, yeah. I don't have tell us about the, the acclaim. Okay, so despite the overall high acclaim, Beloved failed to win the prestigious National Book Award or the National Book Critics Circle Award. 48 black critics and writers, among them Maya Angelou, protested the omission in a statement that the New York Times published on January 24th, 1988. It says, despite the international stature of Toni Morrison, she has yet to receive the national recognition that her five major works of fiction entirely deserve. Okay. Uh, preach. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward two months later, Beloved won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Mm-hmm. Also, it won an Ansfield Wolf Book Award. That same year, Morrison took a visiting professorship at Bard College. One of the things I didn't know is that Beloved is actually the first of three novels about love in African American history. It's sometimes called the Beloved Trilogy. So she said that they're intended to be read together, explaining the conceptual connection is the search for the beloved, the part of the self that is you and loves you and is always there for you. So the second novel in the trilogy, Jazz, came out in 1992. Told in a language that imitates the rhythm of jazz music, the novel is about a love triangle during the Harlem Renaissance in New York City. That year, she also published her first book of literary criticism. It's called Playing in the Dark, Whiteness, and the Literary Imagination, which is an examination of the African-American presence in white American literature, which I want to read that as well. Mm-hmm. I have, I have a list of books I need to read now from this research. <laughs> oh, just wait. I'm going to give you some more. <laughs> I'm going to give you some more later. Uh, before the third novel of the trilogy came out in 1993, uh, Toni Morrison was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, on her citation, it reads, Toni Morrison, comma, quote, who in novels characterized by visionary force and poetic import gives life to an essential aspect of, an, of American reality, end quote. She was the first black woman of any nationality to win the prize. Get it, girl. In her, in her Nobel acceptance speech, she talked about the, sto- the, the power of storytelling. And to make her point, she actually told a story. She spoke about a blind old black woman who's approached by a group of young people. Um, they demand of her. Quote, is there no context for our lives, no song, no literature, no poem full of vitamins, no history connected to experience that you can pass along to help us start strong? Think of our lives and tell us your particularized world. Make up a story. Which I think is really interesting because, as we mentioned earlier, she really didn't care for nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, she would t- When she was teaching at Princeton, she would tell her students that she didn't want to hear about their little lives. <laughs> and she would tell them to come up with their own material that is fiction. And I thought that that was really, like, tell it how it is. You tell them, Tony. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't care about your little life. Tell me a story. I thought, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So in any event, um, 
for her exceptional writing career in 1996, the National Endowment for the Humanities selected her for the Jefferson Lecture, which is the U.S. federal government's highest honor for distinguished intellectual achievement in the humanities. Her lecture, which was entitled The Future of Time, Literature and Diminished Expectations, began with the aphorism, time, it seems, has no future. So she cautioned against the misuse of history to diminish expectations for the future. Uh, She was also honored with the 1996 National Book Foundation Medal of Distinguished Contribution to American Letters, which is awarded to a writer who has enriched our literary, literary, excuse me, literary heritage over a life of service and a corpus of work. So the third book, Paradise, from the Beloved Trilogy, is about citizens of an all-black town. It came out in 1997. The next year, she was on the cover of Time magazine and the second female writer of fiction and second black writer of fiction to appear on what was perhaps the most significant U.S. magazine cover of the era. Also in 1998, the movie adaption of Beloved was released. It was directed by Jonathan Demme and co-produced by Oprah Winfrey, um, who she had spent 10 years trying to bring it to the screen. I love Oprah. I I know you do. Um, (laughs) Jen's giving us the the O. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oprah, she she also starred as the main character, Setha, alongside Danny Glover as Setha's lover, Paul D., um, and Fanny Newton as the titular character, Beloved. Um, the movie, uh, unfortunately and unfathomably, flopped at the box office. Like I said, the stuff that is really important doesn't appeal. Like, that's not a, that's not a movie that you want to take your kids to see. It's no. not a feel-good movie. A lot of people go to the movies to escape. This is more of a Something sad... for your soul. Yeah. Chicken soup for the soul, if you will. Yeah. Um... But it has a cult following. It's a it's a very popular movie now. It just didn't do well in theaters. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about Oprah for one second. Okay. Um, I love so, talking about Oprah. So let's talk about Oprah. <laughs> so Oprah, of course, we all know she has her television talk show host, the Oprah Winfrey Show, and her book club. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like she she launched her her book club in 1996, and she she did select. The Song of Solomon for that book club. Um, an average of, of 13 million viewers watched that the show's book club segments, and and as a result, when Oprah selected um, Toni Morrison's earliest novel, The Bluest Eye, in 2000, it actually um, boosted her sales of the novel, and it sold another 800,000 paperback copies. Um, John Young wrote in the African American Review in 2001 that Morrison's career experienced the boost of the, the Oprah effect, enabling Morrison to reach a broad popular audience. Well, think about the people that watch Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. It's a huge spectrum. Right. People. people of all walks of life. So if you suggest a book, if you're Oprah Winfrey and you, you've sort of earned their trust in terms of selecting books and then... You select a book like The Bluest Eye or The Song of Solomon or Beloved. Mm-hmm. People are at least going to try it. And that's people that weren't going to try it initially. Well, that's very true. She, um, Oprah selected a total of four of Morrison's novels over six, a period of six years, um, which gave Morrison's novels that more, um, you know, that popularity and, and that, that 
uh, exposure to that more broad audience. It also didn't it also boost the sales like more than her winning the Nobel Prize, which yeah, what does that even mean? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that shows you where we are as a, <laughs> as a society. Yeah, um, which is interesting. So she actually appeared on the show three times. Mm-hmm. And so Oprah actually said, for all of those who asked the question, Toni Morrison again, listen, I say with certainty there would have been no Oprah's book club if this woman had not chosen to share her love of words with the world. And Toni Morrison referred to the book club as a reading revolution. I agree. I think it was a reading revolution. It's a revolution for a pocketbook, too. I, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, you and I are both book lovers. Let's not discount that. <laughs> you, you and I, we're both book lovers. Yeah. Um, you know, we both grew up loving books. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think about, you know, how many times do you walk into a bookstore and you see that that Oprah seal on a whole bunch of books? You're like, well, okay, this has to be a decent book. Yeah. Because Oprah's read it. You and she's willing and to refer it. it to other people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a huge effect mm-hmm. on people. And I hardly ever watch the Oprah show. I mean, there are writers that if, if they write the, like, if they're review of the book like oh I couldn't put it down it's on the back of the book I'm buying the book mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the book is about because I trust that writer enough and I think that Oprah had been in people's homes for so long through their TV set had had been known to them and trusted by them so once she recommended a book they were like well okay well, let's try it mm-hmm. and I thought it was important that she brought an experience that a lot of those people would not have experienced yes. otherwise yes I, I think that she actually, ha- I mean, she contributed greatly to that reading revolution. Mm-hmm. There are a whole, a whole lot of people who are readers right now that Oprah, t- like, turned to reading. Yeah. Or, or kept their love of reading alive. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. Yeah. Let's, w- let's talk, let's, let's go back. I would like to talk to, about Tony again. Yes. Please go back and, and talk to me about Tony. Okay, so. Tony continues to write. She wrote Love, um, Remember, which was written to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Brown versus Board of Education. She also wrote Mercy. She curated a month-long series at the Louvre. She wrote the libretto for the opera Margaret Garner, which pre- premiered in 2005. Um, in 2006, the New York Times Book Review named Beloved the best work of American fiction published in the previous 25 years. It's chosen by a selection of prominent writers, literary critics, and editors. So, that's, wow. Okay. That speaks for itself. Uh, in, on November 17th, 2017, Princeton University dedicated Morrison Hall, which was a building previously called West College, in her honor. So she's got a building at Princeton. Um, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice includes writings by Tony. Visitors, they, they see her quote after they have walked through the section commemorating individual vic- victims of lynching. I didn't know about this. I but didn't this, know about this either. This memorial focuses on victims of lynching over the course of the American history. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's located in Montgomery, Alabama, which I think is an interesting thing as well. But I looked at some pictures of the place, and it looks beautiful, heart-wrenching, and heavy. So... Um, I'd like to go visit it sometime if I'm ever in the area, but um, Toni Morrison's lines are in an area. They have all these names mm-hmm. essentially, like, hanging from the sky. Yeah. Um, it's artistic license with what was happening to the people at the time. Um, and 
her writing is at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's just really moving. So um, if anyone's ever in Montgomery, Alabama, I would be interested in seeing that. Please go. Go, go. see the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so her writing's there. She's also um, in a documentary so yeah. in 2019 called Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. And as you all probably know, Toni Morrison passed away in New York City on August 5th, 2019 at 88 years of age. So. Wow. Yes. I would like to live my life in a way that when someone's researching me, they can't condense it down. Which is what happened with us and Toni Morrison. We Mm -hmm. were doing the research. And I mean... In the interest of time, we're thinking, okay, well, we need to, is there anything we can, like, fluff out? Is there any fluff? There's no fluff in here. It's no. all legitimate. And we tried. Yeah. <laughs> we, we tried to pull some stuff out, but we just, we felt like we were going to do her a disservice mm-hmm. if we pulled anything out. And she's, her life was so. Prolific. Prolific uh, and, and important. And she lived a long life, and she was active her whole life. It's not like she wrote three books and then stopped educating and stopped doing things, you know, and lived, like, in the woods like a hermit. That's not what happened. She she continued to give to the American experience through education, through writing, and and through um, editing. So... Yes, and and, and to that point, um, there... You know, we we had um, we told you at the beginning. Alicia said that you know we are recording this um, just days after um, Tony has passed away. Um, it's it's August here, uh, where we are right now in the past, um, <laughs> and um, there's a whole bunch of um, there's a whole bunch of tributes that are, are pouring out on social media, and one of the ones that I found um, and that I have posted to our Twitter account or on our social media platforms, um, so go search for it if you if you can if you haven't read it. Um, there is a um, a, th- a thread that, that's what that's what it's called on Twitter. It is called a thread. Thank you. Um, that's by a, a woman named Claire Shrugger Shrugged Claire Shrugged Sister Outrider. Um, that, and she says the best way to honor Toni Morrison, and I agree with her, is to continue her legacy by celebrating and supporting black female writers. Um, and she has an, a whole thread of fantastic women whose work um, everybody should read. And this, I, I was reading over this thread, and um, not only has she contributed to it, but so many people have contributed to this thread. And it's, it's amazing how many... Uh, black women writers I didn't know about um, and how many and you were talking about book suggestions how many books I now have um, added to my to be read pile mm-hmm. yeah I will definitely I will share them I, Jen's like share them with me tell yes. us a few oh tell you okay yeah. mm-hmm. okay um, I'm starting at the top because I, I don't have time to scroll so uh, I'm, I'm gonna s- just butcher some of these names um, Selena Godden, um, her her poetry. She has a whole bunch of books of poetry, um, and her she also has an autobiography. Um, one that I I know of is um, Angie Thomas. She um, she wrote a whole bunch of YA novels, mm-hmm. um, including 
um, The Hate You Give. Which is on the bestseller list right now. Yeah, it's been there for like a year or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I have read that one and it is very moving. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to read through all of these, I, I, but I have shared them to our Twitter account. Um, please go find them. Uh, we'll share them in the um, comments when in we the post comments this. on the when we post this uh, podcast as well. We'll give you your some reading list, <laughs> your, your your suggested reading list um, of of black women writers who uh, may not have gotten the chance to be published and to be um, part of the liter- literary experience, if not for Toni Morrison. I think it's interesting that um, that tweet mentions that she supported women of color in in her writings and wrote about women of color and their experience, but Toni Morrison actually didn't want to be considered a feminist. She mm-hmm. said, I don't want to be put in a box because my, I want my writing to transcend feminism and to transcend color and to transcend... Um, you know, sex and gender and all of those things. I, I just want it to be palatable to everyone. So she didn't want to really identify with any one particular cause because she didn't want that to affect who would read her books. Yeah, I mean, she was... And she was widely considered to be one of the great um, then-living when this was, you know, when we were doing research on this. Mm-hmm. But one of, one of the great American writers... Um, and, and an enormous part of her literary legacy was the work that she did to establish and, and to extend the black American literary canon through her own writings and for, for those ones that she discovered and edited and, and pushed to have edited. Yeah, I just... Her influence cannot be overstated. Her, The work that she did for publishing and the the works of people of color, but also writing about the experience of people of color yeah. cannot be, it was huge. You know what I mean? It's a huge impact that she made. And in ties with the book club, with Oprah's book club, how many people learned about things that they didn't really consider because they were never exposed to it. That's because of, of Toni Morrison. Reading. One yeah. of the things that I love about reading is that you get to be exposed to something that you never would have been exposed to before. Something that, you know, you you get to experience a life, uh, experience a world that is so different from your own and that you, in your, in your soul and in your heart, are changed because of that. It's something that sticks with you, too. Yeah. You know, like, I, for personal reasons, I can't read Beloved. It would be too upsetting for me, um, but I know the plot, and and that plot sticks with me. Like to be in that sort of position where you're making that sort of choice is just heartbreaking, you know. And um, I just think that communicating when people are in difficult places and making heartbreaking choices because of the place they're in to people that would never be in that position, I think is important to the human experience yes yes and and of her work um she said quote i want it to be true not from outside the culture as a writer looking back at it 
I wanted it to come from inside the culture and speak to people inside the culture. It was about a refusal to pander or distort or gain political points. I wanted to reveal and raise questions, end quote. I mean, she did that. I think that she did, and I think that's part of her legacy. Right, and I mean, if you were to pick one thing that you thought was the most important part of her legacy, what would you pick? Because, I mean, without having read anything besides Song of Solomon... Um, I would pick the black book based on how important it is, Mm -hmm. not on what the writing was, but I would pick the black book because it is essentially an encyclopedia of the, of what it meant to be black in America for hundreds of years. Yeah. And that didn't exist. That did not exist until she did it. And that is huge. It's just... It's just really impressive and mind-blowing that she said, you know what, I'm going to compile I'm going to compile this and I'm going to get buy-in from my publisher whether they like it or not, basically. <laughs> and I'm going to publish this and I don't care how it does because it's real. And I, th- I just think that that's really impressive. But anyway. Let's toast to Toni Morrison. Yes. I would like to toast to her because of her deeply meaningful uh, writings and publishings, things that she published, to those that picked it up. I would like to toast to her for her impact on literature and her contributions to the black American literary canon. We toast to you, Toni Morrison. That wasn't a good, that wasn't you want a better clink? Yeah. Here. Yeah. Get the, there we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is Breaking Barriers and a Little Louder Now podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative. Thank you to my cohort and my fangirl extraordinaire, Alicia, for this great conversation. Um, Thank you listeners for taking some time with us today to talk about the amazing queen of black history, Toni Morrison. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring magnificent women who broke barriers. And she was a queen. But Mm -hmm. if you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have questions, topic ideas, or you just want to join the Bridge Initiative community. You can visit us at fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. You can also email us at bridge at fi360.com. Patterns. And connect with us on Twitter at, you guessed it, at fi360bridge. You can also find us on Instagram. Uh, Where? What's our YouTube? I think it's (laughs) fi360bridge. I don't actually know, but I'm it is. based on it is. <laughs> it is. Okay. <laughs> we follow the pattern. You can support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we'd love to have that. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now. <laughs>